this morning, eh? Need a pair of sunglasses, almost. Yeah, no, um, that's what it looks like without trees. And I'm uh, good with that. All right. Um, well, how did you all go this morning? I, I do thank you for your patience with the, the car park. Um, in a way, it was good. We are still able to use the lower car park there, but next week, be prepared. We need to get even more out here on the grass. So, you know, getting here a little bit early is, is a good idea. Um, you, you may notice that there's a pedestrian access now on Bennett's Road, which is exciting, especially for those who live around this particular area. Um, they can now walk to church. Um, but I just want to encourage you, it's, it's not actually a place to park. So just to honour our neighbours down that, down that area there, we won't park out in that area on the street, if you know what I mean. You can definitely park on the grass area. But if you do live out that area out that way, then it's a good opportunity for you to walk to church if you'd like to do that as well. Uh, our Easter services are coming up. They're only a couple of weeks away. And on Good Friday, we'll be here at 9 o'clock. It's, it'll be a traditional tenebrae service, which we've, we started this tradition about two years ago. You'll remember that. And uh, we love it. And we want to keep that going as well. And then, of course, Easter Sunday at 9 o'clock as well. So we'd love to see you there for those. So we're in this series in the book of Joshua, as you just saw on the screen, called Strong and Courageous. And, you know, it's the story of the, of the nation of Israel under their new leadership of Joshua, finally leading this nation into the promised land that God had given to the generations before them. So where are we up to? I think this is week five, if memory serves me correctly. But two weeks ago, the Israelites, they, you know, two weeks ago in our sermon series, they, they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land, although... The promised land at this stage is really enemy territory, isn't it? It doesn't feel like much of a promise in some ways. It's interesting that when God commands us to go, even when he promises something, it doesn't mean that God just clicks his fingers and delivers it up to us on a plate or a platter. It, it doesn't just happen that way. There is almost always, and I put the word almost there is always hard work and sacrifice to be made when you follow God, yeah? A promised land was, be, was before them. But God told the Israelites, you have to literally now fight for it. You have to fight for what I've promised you. So first point this morning. Easy one, obvious one, but it's a good reminder that the calling of God is hard work. And again, I dropped the word almost because I had it in there. Almost always hard work. It's hard work. Now, it is often, it is, it is rewarding. It's regularly a blessing. It, you know, it changes lives. It's partnership with God as he redeems his world. But it's hard. And you know, we're going to be real about this. We can't just pretend that when we align ourselves with God, that all of a sudden everything's just going to fall into place and life's going to be great. When God calls us to go or to move or, or, or to change, it's hard work. It's costly. You know, I, I, I feel like I'm not really 
selling, if you know what I mean, faith in God here very well today. But there's a battle that often rages that we join up to. And that's why God told Joshua over and over again, you need to be strong. You need to be courageous. Because we will face opposition. And sometimes that opposition is unfair and it hurts. We will face mammoth challenges. You know, people will let us down. Things don't always work out like we want. There is often a long, drawn-out process. You know, we get impatient or we give up or we lose focus. Or worse, we lose faith in our God. And so here's the Israelites. that They've crossed the Jordan and the first city stands in the way of all of Canaan. This is the city of Jericho. And apparently it's got high walls. And the doors are firmly shut. There's no way... And there's no way to, easy way for the Israelites to take what God said was theirs. You know, this huge, difficult roadblock stands right before them. So I'm going to read it to you today. We're in Joshua 6, if you want to follow along, or it's on the screen behind me. Here's the account. Now, the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. I mean, that's right away, verse 1, that's, that just shows that God was kind of already working ahead of them wasn't he? No one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Right now, everybody under my age is thinking of veggie tales, right? <laughs> yeah. But it was, it definitely wasn't cartoon. This was real. Seven priests, up to verse 4, seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times. And the priests, with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast of the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So Joshua called together the priests and he said, Take up the Ark of the Lord's Covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people. March around the town and the armed man will lead the way in front of the Ark of the Lord. Now, you can just kind of imagine how this played out, right? You know, they're all camped there. You remember, there's a lot of Israelites. It could be in the millions. And you've got all your generals and commanders and captains and whatever all sorted out. And Joshua says, come to my command tent, generals, because I've got a battle plan for you. And they're like, hey, okay, good, good. We've been waiting what this plan's going to be. You know, if you're like me, you've seen Lord of the Rings, right, with the two towers and they had to attack the keep, whatever it's called. And it was a high walls and there was, you know, there was ladders and there was lots of people and there's bows and arrows and things were going on. So here, so Joshua has to give them the plan from God. Here's the plan. We're going to line up in kind of neat rows. And then we're going to march around the city once a day for a week. And there's going to be horns. And they will blow the horns. And then you'll shout. And that's it. That's the plan. Now, you've got to keep in mind, Israel has already fought some battles before they crossed the Jordan, by the way. So the commanders are expecting something along those lines. And this is the plan that they received. But God, so God gives them 
something different to what they were expecting. And quite frankly, it's a plan that on the surface seems foolish. At least to you and I, it would anyway. You can just imagine being in that tent when the plan is laid out. This feels a little foolish, Joshua. And that's my second point today. You know, as we follow God and as we serve him and we go where he calls us to, I just want to say be prepared to look foolish for God. Because it won't match up with what the world expects. And if there's one thing we've learned as we've read through Joshua is that God's ways are not our ways. You know, there are times when we say yes to God's calling and the world thinks we're foolish. The way we live our lives, the way he's called us to live, it doesn't align very well with what the world says, does it? And they think we're foolish. You know, we give 10% of our income to the church because Jesus says we should and the world would think, well, that's crazy. You guys are nuts. We follow the call of Jesus to love our enemies you know, we, we, we never get revenge on people who hurt us. Because you know, the word says, that's not where you do. You turn the other cheek. And that would seem foolish, you know, particularly in the world we live in today. You know, you, people just want to quiet you down and cancel you and do all those sorts of things. Whereas the, the, the church responds differently to that. Because Jesus says, well, you've got to love everyone, including the ones who persecute you. Sometimes God asks us to give up a comfortable job and to go into ministry. And, you know, we prayed for someone this morning and serve overseas or give some of our savings or possessions to someone in need. And that, that would just seem a bit, a bit foolish. Sometimes God prompts us to offer to pray for someone who's not a believer. And you could feel very foolish in that moment. Because you don't know what they're going to say. They might say yes, they might say no, they might laugh at you. You know, as Christians, we stand up for justice, the downtrodden, the unborn, the, the prisoner, the refugee. We, you know, sometimes we, we stand out, we might look a little foolish because God's ways are not the world's ways. Sometimes they're not even our ways. They're, that's the way it can, it can look. Joshua and this current generation of Israelites, though, had learnt from their previous generation's mistakes. So they trusted God. They were spiritually fit. Remember we talked about that two weeks ago. And let's see what they, they did next when faced with this seemingly foolish way of, of conquering a city. So verse 8. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord. I love that. I, I, I actually missed that. I've just noticed it. Marching in the presence of the Lord. That would have been another great point. They were blowing the horns as they marched, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns, and some behind the Ark with the priests, continually blowing the horns. And, then, and this is what Joshua said, Do not shout, do not even talk, not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. I mean, that must have been kind of unnerving for the people in the city. But imagine having to say nothing. I didn't look up how big Jericho was at the time, but I imagine it's a long way around. Say nothing. Just say nothing. Until I tell you to. Then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day, and then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with their ram's horns marched in front of 
of the ark of the Lord, blowing the horns. And again, the armed men marched both in front of the priests with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to camp. They followed this pattern for six days. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and they marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. That's a lot of walking. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded... The long blast of their horns, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, and she, for she protected our spies. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and they captured it. So here's my third point for today. It's about perseverance. Persevere with deep faith. Now, if I was God, and I'm not, and you're probably grateful for that, but if I had to lay out a plan... For Israel to take Canaan and and Jericho was the first hurdle, it it would not look like this. And you would imagine that even though the the Israelites Israelites had learned to trust God, they they would be wondering, you know, we're walking around these walls every day. Is something going to happen here, God? Where's the breakthrough? You know, every morning Joshua gets up early and off we go again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And then breakthrough happens. And now I don't understand why God does it this way, but God, no doubt, he, he has a good reason. And the job of his followers, like the Israelites, was to trust him and persevere without letting the faith waver. And I think this is an excellent principle and an application for us today. Every person here has gone through or is going through something in their life. Let's just use the walls as the, as the example that they just seem high and impenetrable. You know, it could be health problems, family problems, financial, work problems, study problems, you know, relationship problems. Perhaps your business has, has a, uh, the outlook is a bit grim at the moment. Perhaps God has called you into ministry and the vision that you have is a long way ahead and it just seems impossible to get to. And, you know, the denomination you work for keeps putting more and more study in front of you. Something like that. That's just an example. (laughs) Today, I believe God is calling us and me, preaching to myself, to persevere in faith, deep faith. But that perseverance requires action. Remember, it's never easy. Point number one. Whatever your need is today, I want to propose some simple and, and, but they're effective things as you march those, around those walls. The key thing is you've got to start the, the walking. But number one is this, to have tenacity and audaciousness in prayer. You know, on two occasions, Jesus told a parable about prayer that said, it's not about just asking once, it's about continually persevering in prayer. Do you know the two parables I'm talking about? One of them was the persistent widow, and she was asking a judge for justice. 
and he wouldn't give it, so she asked again, he wouldn't give it, so she, and so she kept asking, she kept asking, she kept asking, she kept asking, and eventually the judge granted justice to that woman, to that, to that widow. And the second one is the parable of the, of the persistent friend. He had someone come over one night unexpected, and he had no food, and you know, if you're in Middle Eastern culture, that's, that's bad news if you don't have food. Hospitality is high on their priorities, right? And so he goes to his neighbour, it says late at night in the Bible. I mean, who does that? You don't go knocking on your neighbor's door late at night, do you? Let's, let's say it's midnight. I need some food. Someone's just showed up. He was audacious is what I'm trying to say. He was audacious, but he was persistent because the friend said, go away, it's late, I've got nothing. And he said, I need something. And eventually the friend gave something. He was supplied his need. A genuine disciple must learn that prayer never ever gives up and is based on absolute trust and faith in God. You know, we can fully count on the Lord to answer when, where, and how he chooses. But we keep praying. Here's what Jesus said about that kind of prayer. It was right after that parable, by the way, in Luke 11. He said, and I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking And the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You know, does Jesus tell us, this is how you actually pray. This is how you live your life of faith. You persevere. You persist. You persist. I just wonder if that's what we're doing with, with those high walls. The second thing I want to suggest to you today is fasting. You don't want to hear this one because we don't really do it much in our modern era, but fasting was just a normal part of life in biblical times. It was, it was kind of just, it was part of the culture, it was expected. Because when we fast, you know, those, those hunger pains that we, that we feel by, by lunchtime, they remind me of how much I actually need God, you know? And they prompt me to thank Him for what He does provide and supply. All those things that we take for granted, by the way. We spend extra time pushing into God and presenting our needs to Him. You know, if, if you're facing high walls at the moment, consider a season of fasting. I just want to put that out there. Fasting doesn't mean starving yourself, by the way. And of course, you should be sensible about it. You know, if you've got a medical condition or, or whatever, then, then be sensible about it when it comes to fasting. But I want to encourage you as Christians, fasting is actually part of what we do. You've got those high walls and, and, and you've got those difficulties in your life right now. You're looking for breakthrough and something. I consider you to, to try fasting. I'm not talking about going 40 days without eating anything or anything like that. I'm saying you, could, you can skip a couple of meals a week and fast. Or you could switch from certain kinds of meals to something else. They call it a Daniel fast, for example, where you only eat vegetables for like a month or something like that. Don't mean to scare you off, but this is a normal part of what we do. If you've got questions about fasting, then I want you to to come and ask me. I've preached on it before. You you might be able to find the the message somewhere on our website, but I want to bring that to you and just say, if, if you're facing those high walls at the moment, persist with praying and try fasting. So speaking of persistent prayer, many of you know that uh, Jeremy Whitfield suffered a stroke back in 2016. 
And, and it's been an interesting journey of persistent prayer for, for Jeremy and his family, of walking around the walls, if I can say it that way. You know, and so I've asked Lenore and Adrian, they're gonna come and they're just gonna share a little bit of Jeremy's story with me today. Do you guys wanna come now? Why don't you make them feel welcome? Uh, yes, that's right. Four years ago, 2016, um, it was the Friday, so everyone was treating it as Christmas Eve. And uh, it sort of changed our family life for a little bit. And um, Jeremy ended up in intensive care at Royal Brisbane Hospital, and people said, oh, how are you coping with what's happened to him? And it was easy. Um, we looked for blessings in all that was happening in, in the time that he was in hospital and the, the whole situation of him having his uh, stroke. And the fact that it happened while he was at work that Friday morning was a blessing because they were only working half a day. And that afternoon he would have been swimming in Cedar Creek Falls and we think he would have drowned and been a rock on the bottom of the swimming hole. Earlier that Monday for work, he'd driven out to miles and back by himself in the car, 700 kilometres, and if he'd had his stroke at that time, he would have died on the side of the road and worse still, he could have taken some other innocent drivers out with him. The fact that he worked at Stafford, really close to Royal Brisbane Hospital, a tertiary care facility, meant that he was operated on within two hours Again, if he'd lived at Caboolture, a regional town, that would not have happened. While he was at work, he was talking to a mate and he said, oh, there's something wrong with my arm. I think I'm having a stroke. Jared, it was true. Jeremy was having a stroke. You see on the right there, that's a big blood clot inside his brain. And while he was talking to the guy, he caught him as he was falling. So he didn't hit his head and make it any worse. And he was first aid trained. So he put Jeremy in the recovery position while the ambulances were called to attend him. The ambulance that turned up, by this stage, Jeremy had stopped breathing. And he was able to uh, intubate him, which not all paramedics uh, can... Uh, trained to do with the equipment. This was an intensive care paramedic who turned up on the day. You can see God's hand in all the steps along the way. Even when he was at hospital, oh sorry, yes, so the CT scan there shows a uh, severe bleed into the brain with what they call a midline shift. So you see the lines coming top and bottom. The blood clotters pushed his, the inside of his brain sideways uh, and that affected his brain stem. And we were told if it had gone 1.5 millimetres more, he would have either been paralysed from the neck down or perhaps even died. Because this was Christmas Eve, the hospital had started... Um, the hospital... Uh, yeah, the, ho the roster for the, the holidays. So, unfortunately... Oh, sorry. Fortunately... 
the top neurosurgeon was on duty that day to look after Jeremy. And they found a tumour at that time and he took biopsies, but he said he'd only take a little bit. And the top brain histopathologist happened to be on duty that weekend to look at the... to um, diagnose his tumour for us, which happened to be a low-grade pilocytic astrocytoma, common in childhood. So Jeremy's probably had this tumour ever since he was a kid. And they don't normally bleed, but in a way we're sort of lucky that it did. He had no backward steps in intensive care for the, he, while he was there for 10 days. His temperatures were elevated and concerning, but they didn't get out of control. There were no further fits... No further bleeding. He didn't develop any infections while in intensive care, which is always a risk. As a microbiologist, I see the specimens from the intensive care patients all the time. So I was very happy about that. And believe it or not, only his right side was completely paralysed. So it's a blessing that he could still move his left hand. And Jeremy's ambidextrous, which meant in his recovery, he was halfway ahead of everyone else. He was always a good sleeper though because even though he was breathing on his own with ventilated support, they sort of turned it back and he still wouldn't wake up though. So they thought, oh well, we're going to take the tube out and see what happens. But be warned, if he doesn't start breathing on his own, we'll have to put in a tracheostomy, which isn't the the worst thing in the world, but if you can avoid getting cut open, so be it. And... He had his wound staples out in day 10 and we just kept finding and writing down blessings that we could see in Jeremy's story. But prayer also featured heavily in Jeremy's story. So right from the, the beginning, um, as soon as it happened, I got onto Facebook. <laughs> this is when I really appreciated Facebook and made it work for me. And this was uh, the first post. And I said, please pray for our 25-year-old son, Jeremy Bandicoot Whitfield. And, and within moments, I had people responding and saying, praying, you know, not just locally, but across the world. Because we're a Christian community of brothers and sisters, and it's not just our family here, but it's family within, within Australia and and elsewhere and the power of prayer is Jeremy's uh, a walking example of that um, so if you go to s- s- the next um, slide is that the right one anyway where are we up to with each difficulty that arose while Jeremy was in ICU for example when his temperature went up I would send out a message um, on Facebook, letting everybody know a few specific prayer points so that the prayer warriors out there could pray specifically, please keep the temperature under control, please don't let it you know, um, elevate excessively. And we were praying constantly and we did have a sense of peace. It wasn't easy, but we just approached each day with the blessings that that day brought us. And life with God is not immunity from difficulties, 
but it's peace within those difficulties. And I think that that was a time that that was really brought home to us. Um, we, following on from Jeremy's scan, um, yeah, if you go back to Jared, to um, images back. So where that circle is, is where there's um, tumour. And that's five months after the surgery. The surgeon wasn't keen to keep delving in and removing the tumour. He was concerned about causing more deficit than was already the case. Whereas I was searching overseas, I was looking in America to see what they were doing to remove tumour from a brain because we didn't really want it staying there. <laughs> so five, that was in the May, five months after the surgery, the tumour was still there. We had evidence that it was a tumour from the biopsy. And then in February the following year, 2018, every um, February is when Jeremy's annual CT scan happens. And you can go to the next slide now. Jared, where the red line is, that's where the tumour was. So, God has worked a miracle. There is no tumour. And the midline is pretty straight, and that's important as well for functionality. And each year, come February, we sort of hold our breath and the tumour's still not there. God has been good to us, um, and Jeremy's steps are positive and forward. They might only be small steps, but they've been big and powerful as well. And this is... When, we first, when this first happened, I know it's, a long, it's an old story to us, but it's a new story to you. Um, the neurosurgeon came in, and he just sat down and looked at the, the image that said, no tumour. He read the radiology report, no tumour. Oh, he said, I must have got it all. <laughs> but you didn't. <laughs> it was still there in the May after the surgery. So in the most recent um, scan, which was a few weeks ago, the, the young registrar that was, we saw... He confirmed, yes, there's still no tumour. And Adrian said to him, well, we're Christians. And he said, I am too. So, and um, we believe that it's been a miraculous healing. And he just sat there and he said, I think that's the best answer. And so that's our story. Oh, one, one more thing, the final slide, Jared. When we pray, God hears more than we say, answers more than we ask, gives more than we imagine in his own time and his own way. And that has been um, evident from the 23rd of December 2016. Thank you. It's, it's good, Jeremy. And... Um, you know, we celebrate what God's doing, and we know you've still got a journey ahead of you. Well, he's a, um, 
uh, yeah, I want to add a little bit more to this, this testimony because uh, many of you know that a couple of years ago I preached a series called Signs and Wonders. Remember that? Yeah. It's pretty good, hey? And I told you that we we're going to be a church that would pray in faith more, you know, for more miracles, for more healings. But here's a pastor's confession for you. You know, I, I must admit, I, I, I kind of let discouragement stop me from doing that. And I'm sorry for that. You know, we saw some answers to prayer, but I, I prayed many prayers for God's miraculous hand to be at work, and, and more often than not, I didn't get the answer that we prayed for. And so, you know, I confess that today, and, and I ask God's forgiveness. But in January, I felt like God prompted me again. He said, why aren't you doing that, Nathan? You know, why aren't you stepping out in faith? My word says... I will continue to do these things. And so we had a healing service here about a month ago, or no, during last month, sorry, you know, in our month of prayer and fasting on a Wednesday night. And, and I guess, you know, here's another confession for you. I saw the numbers come on that night, and, uh, you know, I'm trying to keep the faith, but I was worried because I knew I was going to see the hurt in the eyes and, and people looking to me and, and I was scared that God, what if he didn't respond you know, what would people think what kind of pastor is busy but nevertheless we prayed fervently that night, it was actually a really good night of prayer, if you were here it was a great night wasn't it, by the time I got home no one had told me any testimonies of healing or breakthrough and I prayed, Lord let there be an email in my inbox tomorrow with the testimony, and I got up the next morning Got my phone out, nothing. And I remember praying in the morning shower. I guess you would say it was a bit like a, a psalm of lament. <laughs> I'm putting myself in David's camp here to excuse myself a little bit. Of Why, God? Why? I thought I was doing what you said. Just an email was all I was asking for. Anyway, my mum called me and, and she said, I'm going to be a hospital and, and, and for whatever reason, Dad can't bring me home, are you free? And so I went in and I was waiting in the waiting room for mum who was just um, having a, seeing a, a surgeon about some, um, some eye surgery. Anyway, I'm, I'm sitting there and I was, I'm still praying the lament <laughs> and, and an email pops in on my phone and the subject is miracle. This is the day I'm asking for the email for miracle, church. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe I didn't make it clear. <laughs> and it was the email from Adrian and Lenore. They had no idea that I was asking for anything. And they said, as far as we're concerned, God's done a miracle in Jeremy's life. And since then, I've had two others tell me from that, that prayer night, that healing night, of, of a breakthrough in some areas, health-wise, Now, there were other prayers that night that have gone unanswered at this point, and I, I, don't always have, I don't have an explanation for that. Only God knows, but here's what we need to keep doing. We persevere with deep faith. I always love how Nikki Gumbel from, from Alpha explains healing prayers. He said in their church, when they prayed 
No prayers for healing. They didn't have any healings. But when they prayed lots of prayers for healing, they had some healings. And so they made the decision, well, we'd rather have God work in his way and have some healings than none. So we'll keep praying more and more. And the testimony this morning just reminds me of that. But I'm not just talking about healing today. I'm talking about issues in your life that feels like there's walls there. You've been walking around them and you're waiting for that change to come and it hasn't happened. This morning, we're going to get up and in faith, we're going to circle the walls again. And here's why. God has already been faithful to us. You know, his death and resurrection, they stand apart as the ultimate act of love and sacrifice for each and every one of us here today. So we, we believe in who he is and what he, he can do based on that. You know, our faith is in what he has already done for us. It's already there. Our faith is based on that. Each and every person who is a believer today already has a testimony of God's faithfulness. If you've surrendered your life to him and he's forgiven you, he has saved us. You know, our soul has been healed. We all have a testimony of healing. And we must stand on that while we persist and pray for these other things. You know, I had a, a difficult conversation with someone this week and... Um, you know, I've, I've kind of felt hurt by it, to be honest. And, and God's been reminding me where he said, well, you've got to forgive, Nathan. Remember, he was asked, well, how many times? And he said, 70 times seven. And I just feel like, well, I got up um, yesterday, not really in the mood to forgive. And I felt like God said, start circling that wall. Start doing the city, walking around, you know, because you've got to get to that point where you can forgive because I told you to. So I'm praying for that. For myself this week. You can come up, and by the way, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here. But as they do, just don't lose concentration. Because when it comes to pulling down the walls we face, we take action. You know, we're willing to look foolish for God. We persevere, we persist, we fast, we pray, we trust God for his timing, and ultimately with whatever he responds with. So we're going to do it again today. And I was tempted to invite you forward. We're going to sing, we're going to sing as, a, as a step of faith, but we can't because of, you know, we can't gather in, in crowds. So in your seats today, actually, let's stand and I'll, talk, I'll tell you how this is going to work. In your seats today, when we sing the words, great is your faithfulness, when we sing them, I want you to lift a hand. You know, for some of you, that's not something that you really do. It's okay. You can just do a little lift. <laughs> a little Presbyterian lift. I was looking at ex-Presbyterians when I said that, yeah. But you know what? You, I want you to do it as a step of faith. Great is your faithfulness. When you sing the words, you make a way where there is no way. And I believe that you'll do it again. You lift that hand high. Just lift a hand in faith to God. You sing those words as your prayer today. And then there will be prayers at the end of the service who will be happy to pray with you as well. All right, let's do it.